morning. My name is Ron Groth. Let's read from 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers not be hindered. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for for Jesus being sent and dying on our behalf. And Lord, we ask that uh, you would direct this message, direct Tim through your Holy Spirit. We pray that our hearts would be receptive to the things you have for us, that we would be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Welcome to Phoenix Bible Church. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, I just want to welcome you. If I didn't meet you on the way in, I would love to do so on the way out. So stop by, say hello. If you are not new, welcome back. Last week, we got to hear from my friend Tom Schrader on stress. And he did a fantastic job walking us through various scriptures on how to navigate stress according to God's Word. If you missed that, you should go check out the podcast, go to phoenixbiblechurch.com and listen to that. It was really, really helpful, and we appreciate him coming and serving us so well last week. This week, we jump back into 1 Peter. Uh, so if this is your first time with us, we've been going verse by verse through 1 Peter, talking about this living hope that we have in Jesus. And so we're right back into that this morning, and we're talking about submission and marriage, and so it's going to be really weighty. And really fun. So put your seatbelt on and get ready for that. We have two books uh, to help you with this. Uh, we can't fix your marriage in 30 to 45 minutes, right? I'll try my best, but I can't promise a lot. But what I can promise you is that we want to walk with you through this. It's when we had a marriage conference a couple weeks ago. It's when we had these two books in the lobby that we're selling for $10 each to help you through your marriage and to help you walk with your spouse and get with other people in our church and walk together in this because marriage is difficult. Some of you are single and you're thinking, I'm going to check out right now and play words with friends on my phone. And you don't need to do that, right? I, I'm guessing that you want to be married someday, right? And so you need to start working on that now, preparing for that now. Some of you are widows or divorced. And maybe marriage brings up some uneasy feelings in you. You need to know you're incredibly valued. We're glad you're here. And this applies to you as well, even if you never get married again. Because marriage is so important in the Christian life. That marriage is talked about like the relationship between Christ and the church. 
So that even if you think, well, I don't really care much about marriage, you need to. Because it represents the relationship between Christ and his church. That's a really big deal. And so wherever you are, a lot of you are married. If you're single or whatever the case may be, God has some important words for us about marriage. And as we think about marriage, as you you think about it in your own life, friends, family members, as you look at our culture, if you know any of the statistics, you know this about marriage, that it's not doing so well. I think about it. In my life, personally, we have friends, my wife and I, from college, we've been married for almost 10 years, and we have friends that got married, and it's 10 years only into this thing, and they didn't make it. Multiple friends. I would imagine some of you can say the same thing. Maybe some of you have family members. You can say the same thing. So personally, I can say I've seen marriages aren't doing so well. As a pastor... Much of the suffering and the strife that I see in relationships can be traced back to marriage. Their parents' marriage, their own marriage, having a lack of biblical understanding of what it means and how to live it out. There's so many things that are going wrong with our marriages today. We we need to look to scripture to see how they can go right. And as we think about the things and the things that make them go wrong, there's lots of things, but for our discussion today, just, I just thought of it in this way, that they can be reduced to lofty expectations or limited expectations. As you see marriage going wrong in our culture and in your friends' lives and family members' lives, a lot of it can be pointed back to lofty expectations or limited expectations in marriage. Like I know when my wife and I got married and we went on our honeymoon, we went to a really nice resort. We had an oceanside view. It was all-inclusive. My wife and I would sit on the porch for a couple hours in the morning reading and talking to one another. Every night we got to go on a different date night. Right on site at the resort with an ocean view. Every day we got to go hit the beach and hit the ocean, and it was amazing. And I never said this, but in the back of my mind, I thought, this is the way it's going to be for the rest of my life, right? I thought that. A couple weeks into our marriage, I realized ocean was gone. (laughs) That to do a date night, I actually had to be creative, It wasn't on site. It wasn't walkable. That we didn't get to spend two hours reading our devotionals every morning. That it became difficult. I had these lofty expectations, and when they weren't met, we had conflict. There was sin. There was strife. And it was difficult. So some of us, maybe you can relate, you have lofty expectations of marriage. Some of you, it's the other way around. You have limited expectations expectations of marriage. Maybe you've been married for a little while, maybe a a long time, but you just see marriage as like getting through the thing till you die, right? And you have limited expectations. There's a guy you laugh, but there's a guy who actually said that. His wife said that. His name's Charlie Pride, a famous country singer. His wife was asked, how do you stay married so long? And her response was amazing. She said the main reason is that neither of us has died. (laughs) Now, I get what she's saying, right? 
till death do us part, right? That's what she's saying. Like, of course we're married. We're still alive, aren't we? We committed to this. I get what she's saying, but listen, just guys specifically, little piece of advice I'm going to throw you away. If somebody asks you, like, why do you stay married to her? And the best answer you can give is, well, she's still alive. Don't you see? She's still alive. That you need to keep thinking of a better answer, right? Like, maybe that's one that you just naturally come to your mind. Don't say that. Keep thinking for a better answer. Some of us have that view of marriage. That maybe at one point in time there was romance, there was joy, there was excitement, there was intimacy. But you think, well, that, that all changes when you have kids. That all changes when you start working a job. That all changes as you get older, and it's really about just making it now. It's, it's about survival. And we have conflict, and we have strife, and we have sin over that as well. And so a lot of our marriages struggle because of lofty expectations, limited expectations. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know where you are in this process, but God has a better design for marriage. He has a design for marriage that can bring us joy, that can give him glory, and that we can experience that for the rest of our lives. And that's the picture he paints in First Peter. And so the first thing that we're going to look at is this. It's influential submission. So if you're taking notes, that's our first point that we see in First Peter. Influential submission. Ron just read it. But if you look at the text with me, First Peter 3, 1 through 2, it starts out, it says, likewise. That likewise is pointing us back to this theme of submission. So if you were here the last few weeks, we talked about submission in terms of governing authorities, in terms of servants and masters, employer, employee. And so he's referring back to, likewise, this submission continues. And it's all based on this transitional verse in chapter 2 that says, live such good lives, live such honorable lives, that other people around you will glorify God. And then it goes into submission. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. That seems kind of odd, doesn't it? I mean, you would think live such honorable lives so that people glorify God, that he would follow that up with, so love your neighbor. That he would follow that up with, serve the poor. But he doesn't. He follows it up with, this idea of submission, and he keeps going, and, and we even see it today in marriage. And as we talk about submission, we're also talking about leadership, right? As we talk about following, we're also talking about someone leading. And so as we talk about that, we have to define these two terms right off the bat because there is a lot of misconceptions about these two terms, leadership, submission. Maybe some of you walk in here this morning and you have misconceptions about these terms, and as I say them, you get a little bit uneasy. You think, why did I choose to come this Sunday? But if we look at them, how God has designed them, they're, they're beautiful gifts to us. So definition one, again, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. Submission, we defined it two weeks ago. It's this. It's setting aside our authority by coming under authority to show God is ultimate authority. Setting aside our authority by coming under authority to show God is ultimate authority. That's submission, biblically. Definition two, leadership. Leadership, biblically, is taking servant-hearted initiative to help others thrive. Leadership is taking servant-hearted initiative to help others thrive. 
And so this is God's design for marriage, that you would see leadership and you would see submission, that these are the primary roles that a husband and a wife are walking in. Now, as I say that, some of you that are uneasy may be thinking, well, what does this mean? Like, I thought we were all equal in Christ. And you need to know it's not about your value. It's about your role. It's about your role. That Peter is not referring to, to value. He's talking about roles within marriage. That we can go back as early as Genesis 1. And we can see that male and female were both equally created in God's image. We can go to Galatians and see there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, that everyone is equal in the family of God. It's a new family. It's specifically when Jesus comes, there's a new family in Christ, and that male, female are, are equal. It goes on to talk about later that we're co-heirs, that in that culture, that the only person that would be thought of as an heir was the oldest son. Not other sons, the oldest son, much less women. But Peter's going to talk about something really controversial in that day, that men and women are co-heirs with Christ. That you need to know that if you're a wife here, that you have incredible value in the mission of God. That we can look to examples in Scripture like Ruth, like Esther, like Lydia, like Mary, who brought the Son of God into the world. That if you're a woman here, whether you're married or not, you need to know you have incredible value in the eyes of God. That these are equal in value, they're different in role, and we're going to flesh out what that looks like. A disclaimer, just as we start, is as we talk about submission, some of you come out of an abusive home. Some of you come out of an absent father, and you think, why would I submit to that? If that's what a father is, if that's what a husband is, no way, count me out. I'm not submitting to that. Some of you are in a relationship right now, and you're looking at your husband, and you're thinking about him right now, and you're thinking, if he's not going to lead, then why should I submit? If he's going to lead me down paths of sin, like, do I have to obey that just because I'm a submissive wife? And you need to know, just like we talked about a couple weeks ago, that anything that you're called to in Scripture, that's your ultimate calling. That's what ultimately you should follow. That you don't submit to a man if that means sinning against God, ever. So if you're in an abusive relationship currently, you need to get help. That's not submission. It's not stand there and take it and be a good wife. It's not that at all. You need to get help today before you leave. That if your husband is encouraging sin, that you don't submit to that. That you submit to God. That you're ultimately his. But most often, listen, most often when we talk about this, because it is uncomfortable to talk about, we only talk about the exceptions and we never talk about what this looks like. And so I want to get into a little bit, what does this look like in a godly way, in a good way to submit? My wife's going to come up a little bit later to do that with me. But just a couple things I would say just for the moment is it looks like two things. It looks like encouraging and empowering. Encouraging and empowering. That, that wives, that you can do so much for your husband and, and help him lead and help him take initiative and help him serve if you would encourage him and empower him, you would send him a text and just let him know, hey, I appreciate everything you do for our family. I know it's hard. 
that when he comes home from the end of a day, that you would empower him and say, hey, I want to go through the book of the Bible with our kids. Can you lead out in that? You would give him license to do that. You would empower him to do those things. That as he has ideas, that even if they're a little bit crazy, that you entertain them. Right? You don't immediately dismiss them. You don't immediately poke holes in them. And maybe you come along and say, you know what, honey, I appreciate you coming up with that idea. But I don't think that's going to work. Like, have you talked to anybody else about this? But you would empower him. You would encourage him consistently with the kids and his job financially. That You would empower and you would encourage as you come alongside him. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but a question that's, good to ask and a distinction that's good to be made is this. It's who do you submit to? First part of, or the last, or the first part, sorry, of verse one tells us, it says, to your own husbands. To your own husbands. And so wives, you don't submit to every man. You just submit to your man, right? You're not called to submit to every man at work and at church and all these other places. You're called to submit to your own Husband, that that's who God is calling you to submit to. And as a result of this, most of us think of, of bad examples, right? Maybe some of you are thinking of bad examples of this. But as scripture talks about it, as Peter talks about it, he's describing a woman of influence. Look at the second part of verse 1. It says, so that because or the result of, even if some do not obey the word, They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Peter is saying that this kind of lifestyle, this kind of conduct can win somebody who doesn't know Jesus. That it's that powerful, that it's that transformative when you live this way, that it stands out. It goes back to that verse in chapter 2. That if you live such honorable lives that others will glorify God when they see that. That as a woman, submission isn't oppressive, it's influential. Do you see that? That when it's lived out how God designed it, you have incredible influence as a woman. We'll flesh that out more in a bit. Let's move on to verse 3. Verse 3, it says this. It says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And so something that may jump off the page for you is verse 5. Verse 5 talks about these holy women It gives an example of Abraham and Sarah. And as we talk about that, you need to see the sequence. That Peter's referring to holy women. And it says they hoped in God. The sequence is very important there. That these women, they they hoped in God. That you need to know that at the end of the day, your hope isn't in your spouse. That as you trust your husband that ultimately you're trusting him as he trusts God, that your hope is in God. Some of us, and some of us that are wives here, you do this, you put all your hope in the man. 
You think I want him to be spontaneous, but a planner. You think I want him to lead spiritually and also financially. You think I want him to be wise, but have a little sense of humor, right? And he's got to be all-encompassing, and when he's not, you're crushed by that. You think, who did I marry? He was supposed to fulfill all my hopes and dreams. Disney has a little bit to do with this. I blame them. But listen, we put all our hope in a spouse, in a man. Like, have you seen us? Like, there's no way we can fulfill that. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. We've been talking about it this whole series. He's your living hope. He's imperishable. It's unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. That's where your hope is. If you want to live holy lives, you hope in God. That that's your foundation. And then out of that, he gives this example of Abraham and Sarah. And for some of you, if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, that may be confusing. Like why that example? They kind of have a a weird relationship at times. But the reason he uses that example is because Genesis 18, some of you know the story, God tells Abraham, you're going to have a child. And we actually read in that passage that Sarah laughs at that. She laughs at that because she's so old, she's past the stage of childbearing. But at the end of the day, she trusts in Abraham as he trusts God that this amazing miracle is going to happen, and they have a son, right? And so he gives this example, referring back to the Old Testament, to say this is what it looks like to submit, to trust in your husband as he trusts in God, that your ultimate hope is in him, and it starts there. But at the end of the day, even when it seems crazy, that you trust, you come alongside of your husband as he trusts God. Does that make sense? And so he gives us that example. He goes on to talk about adorning and talks about different things women will do to make themselves look beautiful. And sometimes we'll read this and say, well, well, don't do any of those things. And, And that's not really what Peter is getting at. Adorning is this idea that it's your source of beauty. It's your source of beauty. He mentions adorning a couple times. He's talking about your source of beauty as a woman. Where is that found? Is it found in the external Or is it found in the eternal? And he's saying it's not found in the external. That you can do those things, that outward appearances are great, they matter, they're good features. But listen, they're not a good foundation. They're good features to have, but they're not your foundation. Specifically, if you know Jesus, that you are in him. That when God looks at you, your beauty is now imperishable. Because you're in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? That we can talk about things now like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That you have a beauty that won't fade because of Jesus. That that can be your source of beauty. That can be your your foundation. And as the physical fades, the person of Jesus will never fade. And so some of you look at this and think, well, that's maybe a little bit oppressive. Like, I can't wear jewelry. And that's not what it's saying. It's saying that's not where your hope is. That's not where your beauty ultimately lies. 
Some of you are new to church. And as you consider this next phrase we're about to read, you think, I knew it. And so I'm going to push you back off that ledge. Hold on one second. It says, the imperishable beauty, we just talked about that, of a gentle and quiet spirit. Some of you think, well, this, this puts us in a box Pastor, box, Pastor Tim. I mean, I have to be silent. I can't speak. I mean, this is what I see in our culture, head coverings. That's not what he's talking about. Look at the verse. Look at, at the actual words that he used. He says, the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. It's a spirit that you have. That means it's not a personality type. Some of you think, well, I'm more outgoing. I'm really confident. I'm an independent woman. Fantastic. What does it look like to do that with a gentle and quiet spirit? That means that you're cooperative, not quarreling. That you're vibrant, not violent, right? That he's talking about a, a spirit that you have, a disposition that you walk with. A really good picture of this is in Proverbs 31. Listen to what it says. This is God's picture of beauty in a woman and in a wife. It says this, verse 17, Proverbs 31. It says, she, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates which, when she sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I know that's a lot of text right there, but you need to realize all the attributes, all the implications of that. Peter is describing a woman who works hard. That seems a little bit independent to me. A woman that goes out there, she's working hard. It talks about her strength, her dignity. It talks about her being praised by her husband, by the community around her, by the way she lives her life. And it's not just about the way she looks. It's not just charm. That she has a relationship with God that is to be modeled, that's to be praised. Does that sound like an oppressed woman to you? It's a strong woman. It's a free woman. It's a woman who lives like this and gives life to everyone around her. That that's God's picture of beauty when it comes to the wife. And listen, husbands, look right at me for a second. What if this was your picture of beauty? This is the way God defines beauty for the woman. What if this was your definition? 
What if we didn't focus so much on the external and more on the eternal? What if we had the same view, the same perspective that we just read about in Proverbs 31 towards our wives to let them know, like, baby, you are good looking. Like, you amaze me with your looks. I love the way you look, but I love you for so much more than that, right? That charm is deceptive, that beauty is fleeting, but I love you because of these characteristics, this strength, this relationship with God that you have and exhibit every day. As we talk about beauty, real beauty, and the sight of God, listen, husbands, we have a lot to work on with that, don't we? That the more we can proclaim that beauty, the more we can affirm that beauty in our wives, the more they're going to walk in that. That we live in a culture that doesn't do that, and it fights and it wars against you every day. And listen, we need to, as men, we need to be the ones leading out in the beauty of women and what the definition really is and what it really looks like, that we can support that. It's an imperishable beauty. I remember uh, several years back, my wife and I were talking with another couple, and they were going through a lot of difficulty in their marriage. And as we talked to them, every question I had, every pointed truth I had, every loving statement I had, it just wasn't getting through. It was just really difficult to get through to this couple. They were experiencing so much difficulty. And at one point, I looked over at my wife, and she just had these words come out of her mouth that were so pointed, so timely, so true, so loving. All at once, it was like a beautiful explosion. And my wife, for this couple experiencing difficulty, had these impactful words for them. And it was amazing. It was beautiful. And in that moment, I stopped, to be honest with you, I stopped thinking about the difficulty of that marriage, and I started thinking about a date night with my wife. <laughs> because that was beautiful. And I told her afterwards, baby, that was amazing. Like, where did, how did you even know? How, you just, it was like a jab. Like, you just did it. And then they were like crying and repentant. How did you do that? Listen, that's beauty. A woman who fears the Lord. A woman who's strong in her faith. That the other things are great too, but they're not lasting. They're not the foundation. They're only features. It's an imperishable beauty, and it's freeing for the wife. It should be. It should be freeing for you as a wife. And it should be life-giving to those around you. It's an imperishable beauty. The third thing we see is an intentional understanding. 1 Peter 3, 7, it says this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, something that may stand out to you is it talks about the woman as a weaker vessel. That word vessel literally means to carry something, right? 
And so as we talk about a weaker vessel, tons of commentators debate on this, but most of them fall in the same place, and it's where we fall, is that typically we're talking about weaker physically. Now, I know some of you women do CrossFit, and you're like 6'4", and your husband's like 5'8", and you can bench press them. I know that exists. But the law of averages, just bear with me for a second, the law of averages tell us that typically uh, men are physically stronger than the wife. I know that's not true across the board. The point is honor is what he gets to in a second. That as men who can be strong physically, that we don't use that to intimidate our wives, whatever size they are, however strong they are. What do we do? What does it say? We honor them. We live in understanding with them. That as you go to your wife, husband, that you want to get something done, you want to get something accomplished, you don't intimidate, you honor, you understand. Don't you think it's interesting that we just spent several verses talking about submission for the wife, this gentle and quiet spirit, what that looks like. And then as he gets to the husbands in verse 7, he doesn't say, so make your wife obey you. So husband, make sure she submits to you. It doesn't say that at all. It's the exact opposite. It says live with your wives in an understanding way. Show them honor. What does that mean? Husbands, that means you lead in a way that serves her. As we talked about our definition earlier, that it's a servant-hearted initiative that helps her thrive. That if she's not thriving under your leadership, you're not leading her well. That's not the servant leadership that, that Peter is referring to. That she should thrive. That the things she enjoys doing, that you should support that. You should help her find those things. You should ask her, like, what do you enjoy doing? What helps you feel successful? What helps you feel joy? I want to help you with that. I want to buy something to help you with that. I want to give you time to help with that. I want to watch the kids to help with that. That you would help her thrive. That all across the Bible, when you see leadership, it's always servant leadership. That's how Jesus leads, right? We talk about Ephesians, a similar passage to this. And it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How? He laid down his life. That when we lead like this, when we live in understanding, that it's a servant-hearted initiative that takes place. And this doesn't just happen, right? Like, we do premarital counseling a lot. We're doing a couple uh, couples right now. And anytime I've ever heard a guy say an engagement, I got her. I understand her. No, I already know all that stuff. Like we're talking through finances, in-laws, and sex. And they're like, oh, I know how all that works. I know her. We've been dating for like six months, man. I know how this works. When I hear that, or some representation of that, I think you're going to need post-married counseling. Like, keep my phone number, because in six months, we're going to be doing this all over again. Because it's not that easy, right? Amen? 
Yeah, it's not that easy. You have to be intentional about this over and over. And he kind of gives us a clue. He says, live in understanding. How do you understand? You have to know. How do you know? Listen. You have to listen. It's an art form. And you have to listen with your eyes, with your heart, and with your schedule. That as husbands, if we're going to be intentional about our understanding with our wives, that we need to know, and to know we need to listen, and we need to do so with our eyes, with our heart, and with our schedule. As we talk to our wife, we ask her questions. I know it's a novel idea that we actually listen, that we respond with something intellectually helpful, and that we clear our schedules for that sometimes. That we, when we talk about, we find out what, what do you get joy from, what gives you success, what helps you feel beautiful as a woman, that we say, let's schedule that in. So one of the things my wife and I do, just real practical, we share a calendar together. And every Monday morning, because that works for our schedule, I have in there, like, that's Jaya's time. We have three kids. She doesn't get much time. Not to do anything actually productive for herself, you know what I'm saying? And so we give her that time every week. And that doesn't mean that's the only time and she can never go outside of that. I'm just saying we're intentional about that. Be intentional about understanding. Be intentional about listening to your spouse. If you're going to take away one thing, husbands, today, listen to your spouse. Ask her questions. Ask her, what do you dream about? Where do you see our family going? What do you enjoy doing? And just listen and later take notes. And then help her with that. Listen, be understanding as you lead your wife. This takes time. I know for us, early on in my marriage, I didn't really know my wife as well as I thought I did. Like, I would give her hugs. I would say nice things about her, which is a great thing to do, both of those, right? But then when it came time for holidays or birthdays, I would get a gift last minute, and I kid you not, I would throw it in a plastic bag. This is where you don't take notes. I would throw it in a plastic bag, and I would just give it to her and say, I love you, babe. Happy birthday. And over time, I began to realize my wife didn't like that. That, in fact, as much as she appreciates the hugs and the words, that the way she receives love is through gifts. Now, it doesn't have to be diamonds. Don't go there. But the way she receives love is gifts. And she wants to know that. I put some time into it. I thought about it creatively. That I actually wrote some of my own thoughts and didn't just go with the hallmark. Like I had to put some time into that because I, how? I, I knew her. I began to understand her. That I didn't stop giving her hugs or saying nice things, but I put more intentional time into giving her gifts because I knew that's how she was wired. Men, are you taking time to understand your wife, to lead her and to serve her? In that way. It's an intentional understanding. I think about a guy in our city named Wayne Grudem. He's a professor at Phoenix Seminary. Um, he's a guy and, a, and his wife, my wife and I have gotten to know a little bit. And so I've actually got to see this live out in their lives. But this is a guy who's probably one of the most well-known theologians of our day. And he moved his wife here, not because it was the best job opportunity, 
Like he had way more offers from other seminaries that were more reputable in our country. But he moved his wife here because the dry heat was better for her physically. That he had, she had had several health problems. And that for whatever reason, coming to Phoenix and, and the dry heat, it actually cures people apparently. So don't complain about Phoenix. But he moved her here primarily to get a job, yes, but primarily because this was a good place for her. He sacrificed other opportunities that were more prestigious for his wife. That as we think about leading men, as we think about leading, that it's servant-hearted, initiating, that helps others thrive, starting with our spouse. And so why are we called to live this way? It says this in the passage, look at the verse. It says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. We said that earlier. It's a massive comment to say in that society that women, that your wives are heirs with you. They're equal with you in Christ. And it's the result of that, the result of that is that your prayers may not be hindered. Your prayers may not be hindered. Some of you have been praying for a breakthrough in your life. Maybe if you're a man here, maybe you've been praying for a breakthrough in your vocation. You don't like your job, you need a different job, you need a raise, and you've been praying for a breakthrough. Maybe you've been praying for a breakthrough financially. Maybe relationally, you've been praying for a breakthrough, and you're going to God with that over and over and over again. And you're saying to God, like, God, why aren't you listening to me? And he's saying, ask your wife the same question. Ask your wife the same question. That you want me to start listening to you, first you have to listen to her. That it's that important. That the end result, if you lead your wives like this, is that your prayers will be answered. God will hear your prayer. He'll respond to you. But if you choose not to, if you refuse to lead like this, if you always go to intimidation, laziness, that God's saying, I'm not going to act. I'm not going to move in your life. I want to teach you how to lead your wife. That's so important that it affects our relationship with God. So as we talk about the marriage that God designs, we want to have this intentional understanding. We want to have an influential submission. We want to have that. We want to walk in that. An imperishable beauty. What does that look like? I'm going to have my wife come up now, and she's going to talk a little bit of what that looks like for her. Would you guys welcome her up as she does that? And I'm going to lead by grabbing your stool. And so we've been married 10 years. Yes. Yeah, there you go. And uh, three kids. And so as we talk about this, as you even sit there and listen, what does this look like over the course of our marriage? As you think through that theologically, practically, and your understanding of submission. Okay, so um, so when we first got married, the first um, couple of years probably, um, 
my picture of submission was like, well, I want to be a good wife. Um, I want him to lead. So I'm going to, uh, whatever decisions we make, I'm just going to go with it. So, okay, whatever you say, we're going to do. You know, if there's conflict, I just, I want to keep peace. I don't want to, you know, get into a fight. So I'm just not going to say anything. Um, you know, just wanting to be a good wife. I was wanting to please him. Um, and so in that, I felt, you know, obviously there was just bitterness that grew in my heart because of that. Um, and so just as I look to scripture and um, God just put some godly women around me, um, God just taught me um, that we are both created in the image of God. Uh, we are both co-heirs of God's grace. And so he created us equally just with different roles. And so that just meant like for me that when I came to Tim, Okay, so I'm going to come to him, and I'm going to use my brain, I'm going to use my heart, I'm going to use my thoughts, and come to him uh, respectfully, um, with a gentle spirit, with God, you know, asking him to lead me and to guide me as I talk to him, and not with just this haste or it having to be, like, I want to win this fight, I want it to be my point, not your point, but really wanting to come together and be on the same page and to see uh, where each of us were coming from and knowing that um, God had a bigger design for our marriage and seeing it that way. Um, in Ephesians 5, it says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, that he gave his life for them. Um, and I just, that just showed me like we are under Christ's leadership and we're to flourish under his leadership. We're also to flourish under our husband's leadership. Um, and so that's us just being helpers and coming alongside them, um, knowing our hope is in Christ, our identity is in him, but knowing that God's given us to our husbands for a reason. And so just being confident in that and knowing um, we're on the same page, like we're on the same side and knowing um, we want to, to flourish together, and so knowing we can do that together. And I know for us, like when I do come to Tim in that way, just gently, respectfully, um, really just letting the Spirit lead me, praying for my heart and my thoughts um, and my desire to be for us to be on the same page, it just goes smoother. Um, I know that he's not thinking... You know, I have to be on the defense. Um, she's going to be defensive. Or, you know, we have to, like, fight to get on the same page. Just knowing, like, my heart's desire is for us to, to ultimately glorify God, to know that he has a, a higher purpose for our marriage. And so um, it just goes a lot smoother in that way. Yeah. So one thing that Jay is not mentioning is I'm a verbal processor. <laughs> and so... If you think, and maybe you're a woman here and you're thinking, well, so what, what does that mean? I can't share my opinions. You yeah, kind of alluded to that. How does that look practically? There's not one decision, uh, maybe like going to Jack in the Box, but <laughs> beyond that, there's not one decision that my wife and I don't talk about. I mean, there's just not. Um, part of that's the way I'm wired. It doesn't make sense to me until I speak it. And so Jay gets the privilege of listening to a lot of that. <laughs> And I get to bounce stuff off of her. Um, and so there's all the decisions we make. You listen. You give input. Sometimes I say, you know what, that's a, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we realize what she has to say is so much better than what I have to say, and we go that route. And so it doesn't look the same for everyone. Uh, all of us have different personalities. Mm -hmm. All of us have different marriages. We're selling two marriage books and I want you to read them. Sometimes the danger, though, of marriage books 
is that we can try to emulate the man and woman writing those. And you need to know it just looks different. And so even as hearing our example, this is an example to encourage you, to give you some ideas. But it's not the way, right? It's a way. There's some principles that we follow, uh, but it looks different. And so um, second question is this passage specifically, as you think about it, as we just walked through it, what's encouraging for you about this and what could be encouraging for our wives here today? Um, I think it's encouraging just the reminder of the imperishable beauty. Um, I just, the, the word that comes to mind is freedom. Because I think when we look at our culture, there's just so much pressure on having to look a certain way and beauty is defined a certain way when our identity is in Christ. Like we are found in him and knowing that in him there is a, a beauty that doesn't fade and knowing we can seek him and we can know him more. We can be found in him. Um, and that doesn't go anywhere. When we, you know, we're getting older, so then you're, you know, your skin looks different. You have babies. Your body looks different. You know, fashion changes. But that is something that doesn't change, that God is constantly growing. Like the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Those are things that God is constantly growing in us as we seek him, as we rest in him, as we trust in him. You know, we talk about our hope. Our hope is not in, um, in this fading beauty, this perishable beauty, but it's in Christ, imperishable, um, that he is constant. So just as we uh, find our identity in him and not in the culture, not in what our culture says is beautiful, but what Christ says is beautiful, um, even an example I always give to our daughter is, um, you know, in Cinderella, when you think about beauty, you know, the stepsisters are always really dressed up and they work really hard to be beautiful. But then when you actually talk to them and you get to know them, you're like, oh, like that's, you know, their heart is not beautiful. And so um, we're drawn to just Christ that makes us beautiful because that is a, the clothes, which are all good. It's, you know, fun to dress up and things like that. But um, our ultimate identity is found in Christ. And so I just encourage you to continue to seek God, to, to rest in him, to spend time with him. Um, we're always, we spend a lot of time on our out, outer figure, but we need to spend more time in our hearts, seeking God, letting him change us, revealing sin, um, and putting his truth there as opposed to, you know, the worldly things. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You guys take my wife. Thanks. I'll see you after this is over. Um, we're kind of running out of time, but I just want to end here. We talk about how to live this out. Hopefully that was helpful for you, but I just want to give you three things as we close. Uh, Jay, I just said it. Our hope is in God. Verse 5 alludes to that. Uh, this whole book is about that. We have a living hope in God. It's not in your spouse. It's not in your beauty. It's in God. That's number one. You have to start there. The second thing is change starts with you. For those of you that have been nudging your spouse this whole time, you've missed the boat. Change starts with you. You want to see changes in your spouse, you need to see them in yourself. And so as you think about how to apply this, you need to be jotting down notes, mental notes, whatever, about how you can do things differently going forward from today. Uh, the third thing, the last thing is this, that don't worry about who won, work on being one. 
I spent a lot of time on that one. So, but basically what I'm saying is, you know, a lot of times we hear a message like this, obviously we do this in conflict, but we think about who's winning. I mean, so what does this mean as a woman? Does it mean I don't, I don't win as a husband? We start thinking about, well, I'm not winning. How can I win? And, and subconsciously, even if we don't say that, that's kind of what we're thinking. That's the paradigm that we believe in. And you need to know that's the opposite of what marriage is, that it's not about you winning. It's about us working together to become one, right? And so the danger of talking about roles, even in this passage, is that you can think solely about my role and her role, and you can end up butting heads, right? You can think so much about roles, and you can forget about this relationship, this beautiful marriage that God invites you into. And you start thinking to yourself, well, I would I would lead if she would only submit. And as a woman, you're thinking, like, if only he would lead, then I would submit. Don't go there. Start with yourself, find your hope in God, and don't worry about who is winning. Worry about working out what this looks like in your relationship with one another. Listen to me, it's worth it. It's worth it. If you're not a Christian, you need to know that you can't live this out because your hope is not in God. Because you're always going to try to find your hope in a person. And it's not going to be found there. It's going to be found in God. And so as you listen to this, if you're new to church or not a believer, you don't need to think, how can I be a better spouse? You need to think through how I need a perfect Savior. And you need to trust him now. And then you can begin to walk this out. If you are a Christian, and we need to spend some time working on this. Most of you spent six months to a year preparing for a wedding that was over in a few hours. How much more time, energy, money do we need to spend on a marriage that will last a lifetime? This is worth your effort. It's worth you leaving here and having a conversation. It's worth you grabbing another couple who's been doing this longer, or who's your peer, and just saying, how can we walk through this together? It's worth getting a book and reading through it with your spouse. It's worth it that if we are going to have a vibrant, gospel-saturated church, then we need to have vibrant, gospel-saturated marriages. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the beauty of marriage, that you give it to us as a gift, and I pray that we would walk in that gift, that we would confess where we need to confess to our spouse, we would repent where we need to repent to you, and that you would equip us and empower us to walk in these roles so that other people might see this and glorify you because of it. It's an amazing thing that we get to be a part of. Help us. We need it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.